Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. We're along with my partners, Ann and Crystal. We do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. Gav, buongiorno, venica. Father, I don't know what to say. I'm so upset. Why? What's wrong? What's wrong? Carmela is one of your biggest supporters and friends. How dare you let her suffer humiliation and embarrassment at the hands of an outsider? I don't know what you mean. Oh, you know exactly what I mean. Unfortunately, because of her husband's high profile in the waste industry, Carmela is the one who bears the brunt of these insults. But there were many of us who were equally offended. I am sorry. This is an open forum. You did hear me bring up that new study. Well, if that's your idea of a good luncheon speaker, I suggest you think about who really keeps this parish alive year after year. That lovely voice you just heard telling off Father Phil is my guest today, Maureen Van Zant, as Gabriella Dante, the wife of her real-life husband, Steve Van Zant, in an epic scene from The Sopranos. But Maureen is so much more than Gabby, She's been an accomplished dancer, Broadway star, philanthropist with so many wonderful causes, which you'll hear more about on the show. And of course, a witness to some of the greatest moments in rock and roll history from her days sneaking into New York City as a 15-year-old to see the early performances of artists from the Beatles to Rod Stewart and the British Invasion to a very special time with Jimi Hendrix. Wait till you hear these stories. And of course... Let's not forget her husband, little Stephen Van Zant, and his Disciples of Soul, whose music you'll hear from time to time as bumpers of the show, and his other gig as a rock and roll Hall of Famer with Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. But today's episode is about Maureen and her take on the business of show business. I hope you enjoy this very special Financially Speaking podcast we taped recently at Stephen's Recording Studio in Manhattan. Well, thank you so much for, for spending time with us today, Maureen. I, I, I've been wanting to do a show about the business of show business. Cue Ethel Merman, if she's here anywhere. <laughs> There's no business like <laughs> exactly. it, right? Exactly. <laughs> and, and the changes we've seen over the last, say, few generations in theater and music and television specifically. And I couldn't think of anyone who's had a more diverse and insider look at that world than you. But before we start, don't think I'm going to skip over the youth and your earliest rise to fame. And oh, boy. You were 12 years old. You won the New Jersey Spelling Bee. That's correct, yes. And the word was? Anteroom, A-N-T-E-R-O-O-M. <laughs> I think you told me once that the person had an I in it. Yes. Afterwards. Yeah. What do you remember about that? Oh, God. I, I remember that we were chosen that uh, there was a boy and, and a girl from each school in New Jersey that was chosen to go. And, mm -hmm. and I was chosen along with this boy who was in my class. And he was a very, I don't want to use the word nerd, but he, mm -hmm. was, he, he was kind of a nerdy boy. I mean, right. I went to school with a lot of Italian crazy boys who were always causing trouble. But this kid was, he was very serious. He was really into it. And, and we, we went to this thing he got eliminated before I did, obviously. I, I think he was very pissed off at me. Mm -hmm. I, I just remember, the thing is, I always read a lot. That's why I think I was a good speller. Right. And I had never heard this word in my life. <laughs> that always because happens. It was a very old-fashioned right, word. You exactly. know, whoever right, Whoever talked about an anteroom. Right. And, and the only way, I, well, when the other person spelled it incorrectly, I, I, I knew Right, what it had to be. It was, sure. it was, it was a pretty easy way right, yeah. to tell you the truth. But uh, and, and I knew that it wouldn't have been anti because it wasn't against mm -hmm. anything. I, I knew it was, a, they gave us a definition of what it was. a national spelling bee after that? What, what's... I didn't do it. Okay. I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't Because it, wasn't really... it was very nerve-wracking Right, for it really me. wasn't, it wasn't your thing. I mean, It wasn't you know, my right? thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I did it. I, I thought it was fun at the time. And then it, it just wasn't the world I, I wanted to be involved in. It, it, was, it, was, it was fun to mm -hmm. win it, but I didn't care to go any further. And you, you don't sit up there at night two, and read I was, the you know, dictionary. I was too interested in the yeah. Beatles and other things exactly. like that, so I didn't well, care about good, it. Good, good for the world that, <laughs> that you didn't spend the rest of your life in the dictionary. I mean, where would that have, have taken me? <laughs> Jeopardy, I guess. <laughs> 
So I always thought I had a cool time when I was in my 20s working for Larry King, Howard Stern, CBS News, uh, the number one rock radio station in D.C., and I met so many of my music heroes and theater and sports heroes. But then, you know, as I've started hearing your stories from the 60s, and I wasn't feeling so groovy anymore. You're very groovy, Mitch. Don't don't let anybody (laughs) tell you you're not. So just take us back a little bit, and let's talk about the pre-Beatlemania days, post-Spelling Bee, and growing up in in New Jersey and your family. So where where do you think your love of, obviously, of dancing, but of theater and music, where where does that just come from in your family, I guess? Well, when I was quite young. I was always interested in, in music. I had a babysitter who was a huge Elvis fan and, and she would come to the house and babysit and play Elvis and play every other record that was out. And also my uncle Mario used to supply all of the jukeboxes in New Jersey with singles. So every Sunday he'd come to the house and he'd bring a huge box of singles. So I had every record imaginable, which was, uh, I mean, my I wait, dad I, was in the jukebox business. He actually wow. was the, um, one of the top people at Row, which was one of the big jukebox companies. Well, that's, we probably, and I have one uh, in my basement. had something yeah. in common. Yeah. So anyway, I just, you know, got into listening to music. I would listen to the radio all the time. But the musical theater thing, I had, you know, obviously started dance class when, when I was quite young, was not a singer, could maybe hold a tune in a group, but um, I did singing lessons, I did the dancing lessons, all of that stuff. And the person that really kind of encouraged me with the musical theater thing, but didn't encourage me actively is my grandfather used to like to go to plays, mm-hmm. musicals, and no one ever wanted to go with him. So he would take me. And I got to see West Side Story on Broadway when I was seven years old. And you never forget that. And I have I, I, I have the same memories of seeing Fiddler when I was seven or eight or Mame. I mean, just these these incredible shows, and they stick with you. Yeah, and and I I thought, oh, oh my god, you know, like I, I saw the Jets, and I'm like, oh my god, oh my god, I wanted I want to be one of them. <laughs> right. I want to do that. And then I saw the Sharks. And I'm like, well, no, I I want to be I want to be them. Yeah, but I then wanted, Nardo. I want to dance yeah. all the guys' parts first of all. <laughs> then I saw Cheetah Rivera. Yeah, and I'm like, no, no, I, I yeah. want to be her. Game over. I, I was never her. No one can ever be Cheetah. No. Um, you know, we've become friends over the years, mm-hmm. which is just it still blows my mind that that I know this woman and. We actually gave her an award a couple of months ago, and and I thought, wait a second, I'm giving Cheetah an award, but I yeah. but I, I told the story about sure. going to see her then, which was uh, and you never forget. she got a big laugh out of, I'm sure, and, and you never forget those moments, you know, and it's so important in every family. I had an aunt that, I mean, my folks love theater, but I had an aunt who just knew everything about theater, wrote for Steve Allen, and she just was very in in that world, and, that, and that's she really great turned I mean, me on to theater, she turned me on to being an Anglophile. I mean, just all of these things that I would have never experienced in my life. And so what I want to do is cover theater, dance, movies, televisions, and rock, and and hear not only, as the guy you live with says, wicked cool stories, but <laughs> um, ginchy stories, but maybe talk about those businesses then and now. So for those of you, by the way, that don't know this, Maureen, for the last three years, also co-hosts a really cool podcast herself called Generation Gap Podcast with a comedian, Josh Accardo, and they, they leave nothing on the table, trust me. In every episode, I would subscribe. You never know what they're going to get into, and and it's just really fun with the OK Boomer and the uh, right and the and the millennial. Well, I guess he's a millennial. He's sort of the yeah. uh, the top end of the millennial. He's very funny. I mean, Josh is a working comedian, and he oh, he's hilarious. Oh, and I can't get through some of the shows because he just makes me laugh. But it, it's it's just a complete craziness. You know, it's great, we just have but... fun. It's pop culture. We talk about music, film, and we find crazy stories from them all over the place. Right. And we just you know no. we just riff it's on all, them. It's I mean, all we about don't the plan stories. any of it. Yeah. We just kind of do it. That's the best thing. We're trying to have a structure, you know, but which Stephen has yelled at us about. He's like, no, you have to have some kind of plan here. You just go on in stream of consciousness, but we kind of like it that way. So let's start with Broadway. All right. Yes, sir. And your big break came with clearly the definitive cultural Broadway iconic show of the 1960s that my parents would not let me see, <laughs> but you were in it. And we're talking about hair. So I believe the year is 1968 when Hair yes. first premiered. Yes. So let's let's go back to getting that audition and gig and 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 the dancing role and what how that how that all came about. Well, again, it was you were in the original cast, not in the original. No, no, no. I came, people would kind of come and go. The mm-hmm. original cast was fantastic, and I, I knew a lot of those people. Mm-hmm. I had been a, a ballet dancer. It just became a bit of a crazy atmosphere for me, um, eating disorder, all of that stuff, which yeah. is very rampant in right. in that world. And I kind of needed to get away from it. I 
used to hang out in the village and mm-hmm. still do. Right. That's where we're <laughs> recording this today. <laughs> exactly. And would go to all the clubs and, you know, would go to see all the bands and knew all the musicians that would play at the clubs. And a guy who I knew was who was in a band ended up getting the lead in Hair. Again, not original cast. Mm-hmm. And we How many just, years was Hair on at that point? What year was this? Well, this was 69. Yeah, so it was not that long after. Re- rel- I mean, relatively Because wasn't Diane Keaton not in the original cast, but she was in... She more, was a little bit later. Yeah. Melba Moore Melba was Moore, it. Right, yeah. yeah. Melba Moore went to the same high school that I went to for a while as well. But anyway, they were just kind of, look, the, the tribe members were constantly right. being replaced, I think. And it was sort of a free-for-all. It was like, yeah, come on, come mm-hmm. on down. And it was like, okay, yeah, you're, you're in the show. And that was it. I was really more of a dancer, ensemble person. As I said, I'm not a singer. It was a, a crazy time. And, and it just was, you know, it just reflected everything that was going on back then. And it was just a really oh, incredible I, I, experience. I, iconic. I mean, I think the New York Times said the show had the most talented hippies you could ever see. Exactly. And, <laughs> and ironically, it lost, I think, to 1776 yes. for the Tonys, which that show my parents did let me see, which I, I still remember to this day, William Daniels' performance yeah. and Howard De Silva and no, some of the, all, the greats. Also fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's never fair to compare. But, so, but it was something different. Were you a hippie? I mean, for those that are of the younger generation, but maybe even describe what a hippie is. I mean, that word just means so many things then well, and, and even I now. Mean, <laughs> I think there were the true hippies and then yeah. there were the people who were dressing like hippies who kind of wanted, which we all did. I think the hippies were really, really came out of the drug culture. And I would say more from the the West Coast, the San Francisco, Haight Ashbury thing, <laughs> who dressed, you know, tie dye, bell bottoms. Mm-hmm. You know, Indian bees and and headbands and and long, long hair and no shoes or sandals. And that was never really my style. I was more of a British invasion Mm -hmm. kind of girl, mod. I like to be dressed to kill. I like to dress like Cher and Sonny and Cher and all all those great people. But we all went through the And you got to be dressed in hair, right? I mean, that show had... Well, yeah, you that know, was that was a, that was the hippie yeah, right. clothing <laughs> exactly. around that time. Well, 60- some of it wasn't clothing, if I well, recall. Yeah, which is <laughs> <laughs> why my parents yeah, were not taking the me. The parents were not happy about that. <laughs> it was a groundbreaking show. I mean, as I said, with language nudity, I, I don't even think Don Draper would have been comfortable <laughs> sitting there. But, yeah, I mean, the first show I think that that had real nudity, like that was Old Calcutta, Calcutta, which was running at about the same time, I think. So they were the first that had nudity. I am curious, yellow or something like that. Well, was that another was a one? film. That was a film. I mean, I don't think it was ever a show. Maybe it was later on, but that was a film. Mm -hmm. But I think Calcutta was the first Broadway show, legitimate Broadway show that had nudity in it. So Hair wasn't the first First one that did it. And I think Calcutta had much more. What was it like getting your first Broadway contract? I mean, I can't even imagine, like, like what kind of money were people getting on Broadway enough? Was it enough to live on, for example, when you were in Hair? No, it wasn't much. It it was the same as what what a dancer would get, which was nothing. I mean, now Broadway is very different, obviously. Stars are being cast in almost every show and they're getting a large salary. But I think in a way it's been good for the rest of the community because I think that they've had to up the salaries for everybody else. I mean, when I speak to people who work on Broadway now, they're they're making decent money, but... You know, there was never money in theater. I I know that. You You had to have three jobs. I know there were many agents that, you know, would say, if you want to do theater, I'm not taking you on as a client. <laughs> and I had, you know, somebody drop me because of that, because I wanted to just do that. I didn't want to do TV. So I didn't want to do film. And, and you know, you do what you love. You now, know? were you taking acting lessons at the time? Because um, I know you were so into dance, ballet specifically. I was, I was taking acting lessons only to help with the dancing because we'd have to play characters in right. dance. So I took acting lessons because of that. But I, I was never really serious about it, thinking I wanted to be an actor. You know, I was not thinking ahead, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking that there's going to be right. a time when you're not going to be able to dance anymore and you've got to figure out what you want to do. So 
all things come around. West Side Story's back. Will the dancing, I mean, have you, I don't know if you've seen the new version. I mean, is the dancing as unforgettable as it was then, or is it changed? Or I guess choreographers change, and I think that's probably well, that's the big the, difference, that's right? That's the problem. That's yeah. why I won't see it. Yeah. Because um, Jerome Robbins, I'm trying to remember. Jerome Robbins right. is, is, they are not using his choreography. They, oh, uh, well. The director brought in. I don't uh, understand that. A, a, a woman who's, I believe, a Dutch choreographer, uh, Anna Maria de Kersmacher. I think that's her name. I, I know okay. she's she's a choreographer, and very avant garde and very unlike what I think we. They're not wearing wooden shoes. Think of it. <laughs> I hope that'd be really tough to <laughs> well, do. Well, that would make it interesting yeah, at least. I'd love to see America but in wooden I, shoes. <laughs> when I heard about this, I was I was very very upset that they would throw that choreography out because that is the show. I mean, Robbins co-directed it. Sure. It's just not the same for me and I, I don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm being a snob and maybe I'm just being no. really terrible about it, but that's not what I think of as West Side Story. Right. There's some things that are perfection. Bernstein, Yeah, I think there's some things you don't, you don't touch. Now, that. I've seen revivals of West Side Story, maybe one that I liked. I, I saw the one that they brought the you know Spanish language yes, into. Yes. And I didn't like it that much, and I, I don't know why. And, and again, I thought it was totally appropriate that these Puerto Ricans should be speaking their language. But again, I wonder, why do you do these things? Is it because you want to be more politically correct, or do you want to do something new and different? And right. I think, you know, if it ain't broke, don't right. fix it. You know, everyone wants to make their mark, but, you know... <laughs> I can't even imagine in 40 years someone like redoing Hamilton and 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 well, and say well we're we're, we're 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 not going to rap we're, we're I mean, what you know what are, what are you going to do Yeah we're going to do an opera <laughs> version of Hamilton I mean it just it doesn't make sense to yeah. me I think things are written to be a certain way and why would you change it would you repaint the Mona Lisa Right you know would you rewrite you know Hemingway's novels I I just don't like that and I think that these theatrical pieces are masterpieces. West Side Story is, Hamilton is, mm-hmm. and, and, and others, of course. And, and I just don't like the idea of, of fooling around with them too much. No. So in the last, let's say, five years, what show, and maybe it is Hamilton, that just blew you away? And what show would you wish you had blown off? Hmm. Well, Hamilton did absolutely blow me away. I went into it with low expectations because the hype was so huge. Did you see it very early on in the run? I, I saw it in previews. Mm-hmm. You had an advantage that I didn't have. And the, the, the reason is, uh, when I saw Hamilton for the first time, it was a little later in the run. Everyone had the soundtrack. Everyone knew every song, including me, uh, including the person sitting next to me. And it well, was one yeah. of the most annoying experiences. Actually, it was at the Kennedy Center. I was with my family and had to get an usher to, to talk to this woman. And I, I said, I love the songs. I could sing along with you. But that, you know, this isn't a rock concert. This is... Always one of my pet peeves when you go to a show and people are singing the songs. I ha- I went to see Carousel and the woman next to me sang the entire score. Oh, and I thought, you know what? God. We paid money to see professionals <laughs> who have gorgeous voices. You know, I, I don't want to be taken out of the show. But no, I, Hamilton, I didn't know anything about it. I had not heard the soundtrack. I don't think people in the audience had... It's a great advantage. Had, I don't think mm-hmm. it was out yet. Right. That's why. So I just went in thinking, oh my God, this thing is so hyped. It's going to be just a big disappointment. And I, and I have to say it was just incredible. And Stephen saw it with me and, and he's not a huge musical theater fan. Usually takes what I call the $200 nap during um, <laughs> the show. But he was really just amazed by this. You know, and again, not a rap music fan. I'm not a rap, but it was more than that. And I don't oh, like so when people more. call it rap because no. there's so many beautiful melodic songs in addition to the rap, which works perfectly. And, you know, Lin-Manuel is, is, is a genius. Yeah, and, uh, absolute genius. Every aspect of that show. Yeah, really, you know. He, he, re- he really is. I mean, everything he does, I, I, I think, is of so such a you, high quality. Do you and, try to, I mean, I know you get to a lot of theater that you're disappointed. Other, I mean, I know you said you're not going to go to West Side Story, but, do you, you know, have you, have you other things that aren't, let's say revivals that just that make it and you don't understand why. Well, one I mean, thing cats I, could be an entire episode, I oh, guess, well, but that's a whole yeah. separate thing. Um, <laughs> I never did like cats to begin with. Me so. neither. For me, it, my West side story was always Pippin. I mean, I just, for me trying to find my own corner of the sky, I, I've, I've never 
really recovered from that show. And then actually, I was at summer camp and, and we used to do musical theater, an all boys Jewish summer camp in the Berkshires. And we used to do musical theater. And, wow. I, and I got to play Pippin oh, in, 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 in the wonderful 1972 production of Pippin and got to sing those songs, I know, which was I, interesting. I, I listened to that soundtrack all the time. You saw Ben Vereen recently when we went to see Cheetah Rivera, and, mm-hmm. and I said, Ben, I listen to Simple Joys, Ugh. you know, almost every day, and particularly when I'm not so great a mood. And, and he said, Maureen, next time you want to hear it, call me up, I'll sing it to you. And, <laughs> and you know, every day I think, man, I wish I had the nerve to call uh, Ben Vereen up and hear him <laughs> singing this damn song. Yeah, there's nothing there's But there, nothing there like was it. just something about that, you know, very emotional to me that that mm-hmm. whole Pippin character right. and that you know not knowing where you belong right. and and you know I think because my generation I think a lot of us felt like misfits we you know for those of you that are Beverly Hillbillies fan Irene Ryan was the was star the, was one the of the grandma, stars was the grandmother yeah. and sang one of the great songs of that show I but, love that yeah, song yeah. yes <laughs> I'm hoping that Rocket does a, 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 a production of it and I can oh, play the grandma and that sing was... that song <laughs> So we're going to come back to theater and rocket actually a little bit later in the show. But I guess for you, like every child of the 60s, February 9th, 1964, and we're almost there, changed everything. Now, Stephen has called it an epiphany, a musical awakening, and it communicated to him an entire new world. So what effect did that night with the Beatles on Ed Sullivan have on little Maureen? It was strange because their, their album was out, and I remember seeing it in our local I'm going to call it Soda Fountain because that's what they called it. And well, they would, sell, they would yeah. sometimes sell records there. And not my local record mm-hmm. store, which was Melody Records. Right, in Newark. Yes, right? they did have it. But I first saw the cover of Meet the Beatles. And I thought, what the hell is it? Like, who are these guys? What are these haircuts? They didn't look like any boys that I knew from Newark, New Jersey, who had the slicked back greaser hair. And I was just so fascinated by what they looked like. But I didn't really know the music. And then a few days later... Ed Sullivan show, I don't know what it did. Like, why would it have affected me? I wasn't a musician. I wasn't interested in being a musician. There was just something about the the joy that they had about them, and I think it was also post JFK assassination. Exactly. I mean, and that, that and we is, were all in a terrible yeah, right. depression. I right. think being a kid at that time, it was it was it absolutely shocking. The Beatles saved America. I mean, yeah, it's, really. I mean, you know, I, I actually will said never, that to ever, Paul McCartney when I met him. Is yeah, you, you they, saved they, America. they really did. I think we were all so so sad and so confused, especially kids. You know, to have experienced that. You know, like who in your lifetime would think you're going to see your president, who was very beloved, and we oh, all loved him. Right. I mean, he was the most charming sure. and you know adorable and the stylish guy. You mm-hmm. know, whatever criticisms people may make, he was too kid. He right. was cool. Right. And you know, to see somebody murdered on TV. I mean, it just was just such a, a horrifying and depressing atmosphere and the Beatles came and you know to hear I want to hold your hand or she loves you I hear those songs now and I feel nothing but joy right and I I, I don't know why it changed my life you know I could see why it would change Stephen's life or Bruce's life because those guys they became musicians but it it just um I think it changed everyone's life I mean I was I was four and it still changed my life. I still remember because yeah, I still my, have my these little, memories of, this, say of the, the same sadness thing. in the house. And then I remember my sister after she went not to the concert you went to, but went to Atlantic City and saw the Beatles. And I just know what the Beatlemania was that was going on. So speaking of concerts, you probably saw the two most famous concerts of not only the 60s, but thinking back, maybe even in the history of rock and, and maybe the best shows since the Gladiators played the Coliseum. Let's talk about Shea Stadium. How, okay. How'd you get your tickets? I got my tickets because my grandfather knew a ticket broker and, and I was, you know, hysterical. I must go see the Beatles. And he got me fantastic tickets that were the first row on the third baseline. Wow. That was the first year I went. And Can you find yourself it. in the Ron Howard footage that was used in the documentary? Oh, yeah, I'm there because I'm out in the field with my girlfriend because we, we ran out in the field. Oh, that's we had so a, great. Jump a couple of barricades, Uh-oh. and you know, I got thrown out of the concert. I have to say, both years, <laughs> so I didn't get to see the full. I got to see half of two Beatles. Co- well, I saw well, them. It's forty five minutes, right? right? I mean, not even. Not no, even, it wasn't right? even forty five minutes. Probably like twenty five minutes or something. And uh, I was, I did see them at Carnegie Hall. I managed to, to stay right. in my seat, and I saw them at Forest Hills Tennis <laughs> Stadium. But Shea Stadium, I had my best friend, who was still my best friend. She was a, kind of really 
wild and and, and fun girl. And, 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 you know, John Lennon was sort of like beckoning us like, come on. I, I think mm-hmm. he wanted some, sure. you know, some trouble because right. that that's who he was. And he was sort of like, you know, beckoning to the girls like, come on, run out here, run out here, even though they probably hated it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, let's go. So we did. So, so yes. Uh, who was your favorite Beatle at George that point? George Harrison. Always, yeah. First and yeah. always and still, yes. It's so amazing because the, the, anytime you ask anyone that question, there is never hesitation. Everyone yeah. has their favorite Beatle. Exactly. Um, it was so funny. And, you know, my best friend's favorite was Paul, so we could get along. If right. there were other girls who liked George, I didn't really want to be too friendly with them because, you know, he was mine. I don't know what appealed to me about him. I think there was something mysterious about him. They mm-hmm. could, used to call him the quiet one. Well, he, and, he may have written you know, the greatest song of all time, so yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I couldn't doubt exactly. it. Exactly. He was very, you know... I don't want to use the word underrated, but you know, in that band, there were two. In that band, maybe two he was. stars. I mean, in, songwriters. Yeah, right, yeah, they yeah. they were brilliant, but I and think you cannot ever it. take that away from no. them. I mean, there's nobody no. like Lennon McCartney, McCartney Lennon, but George. You know, I, I think was very talented, and, um, you and know, it, he showed that later on. Oh, without and it's just a funny story about. I guess it's about sixteen, seventeen years ago. We're visiting my sister out in, in Amagansa in East Hampton, and there's a, far, a place that's a farm stand that's a bit of a, a everybody goes to. And we were there getting some food six, seven o'clock the night we got there, and I was with my kids, who at the time might have been nine and five, something like that. And my wife comes over to me and says, "You need to go get bananas." I said, "I already bought bananas." She goes, "No." Take the kids, go get bananas. And who's standing there buying bananas but Paul McCartney, who has a home out there. And, yes. and, you know, it's just one of those moments. And again, I've been fortunate. I've met many, many icons and celebrities, but it's still Paul McCartney. And he, he right away looked at me and he said, oh, who are these Who are these young, young guys? And I said, oh, this is my son, Harrison, and this is my daughter, Georgia. And he said, are you telling me you didn't name your kid Paul? I said, well, my middle name is Paul. How about that? He says, That's well, fantastic. I give you half credit. And, and Georgia that, and Harrison, exactly. I mean, come on. He and, must have been right. very, very slighted he, by he, that. You know, he, it, I think he was, you know, and, and, they, so and they, were, they were not necessarily named for George Harrison, but in my head, my grandfather was George. I knew I was having a girl, Georgia, and Harrison was a name I loved forever. Oh, and this is such a great so, story. Yeah, and he, was, he, he couldn't have been sweet. He's a lovely person. Absolutely. He really is. I mean, they, you know, they always say, don't meet your heroes, and he He's one of the people who disproves that statement because yeah. I think he's one well, of the... Well, it's never it's never fair. And this is I've learned over the years. In fact, I just had a thing on Facebook with a writer friend of mine who some woman wrote some comment, I won't even say his name, who wrote a comment about him. And I'm, I, he was at this event and he was mean and blah, blah, blah. And I said, I said, A, I don't think he was at that event. And B, he's one of the nicest guys and you would ever meet. And of course... This person is very also on social media, and he commented. He said, no, I was not at that event. So I don't think it's fair to judge anybody, especially if you jump into their space. You don't bother people at restaurants. You don't bother people walking down the street. I mean, just, you know, things have to happen organically. And and it's, uh, I always use this other example, Barry Bonds, who everybody thought was this horrible person. And, and, you know, forget even the steroid thing. And my brother was involved in an ESPN home run and we went there because my son wanted to meet Mike Piazza. That was his sports hero. And Piazza was okay, but really didn't spend much time. But Barry Bonds just, you know, wound up giving my son batting lessons and just couldn't have been a nicer man. So you never know. So Yeah, you don't know. And, yeah. and you know, like I've, I've met quite a few hmm. celebrities and I can know. see how your generation gap shows goes in different directions. I can, I can see yeah. how that happens. Yeah. It's all my fault. No, I, no, no, no. I, I go it, off into the, tan, the, on tangents but here. The stories are there. So let's get to the British invasion. So okay. like I said, you were, you were incredibly fortunate to watch an icon. And by the way, when I mentioned Maureen was in another concert, we're talking about Woodstock and we'll get to that in a minute. But okay. so you love the British invasion, but you were fortunate to watch another icon really up close and personal, Jimi Hendrix. Yes. So I want to know kind of how that happened. First of all, because not just because I know you, but I know that you were not Cameron Crowe's inspiration for Miss Penny Lane and Almost Famous. So, no, um, unfortunately not. <laughs> so was it being in the theater world that you know allowed you to be at the right place to well to, to see Jimmy in, in these interestingly amazing enough the first place I saw Jimmy was at the Cafe Wa when I was about. 15, mm. when he was called Jimmy James. He was always Jimi Hendrix, because that's his real name. But, um, and I bet your parents didn't know you were at the Cafe Wa that oh, night. You, you better believe it. it well, actually, it was in the afternoon. They used to start 
having bands play at like three o'clock in the afternoon. So my friend and I would cut school in our little Catholic <laughs> uniforms and bring some kind of really short mini skirt and, you know. Take the bus into the city. And get on the bus yep, from Newark in, in and, Newark, yep, from uh, <laughs> downtown Newark. Right. And we'd change our clothing in the backseat of the bus. <laughs> and we'd go out in the streets of the village looking and thinking we're really cool. We'd go to the Cafe Wa because it would, I don't think there was any liquor there because a lot of sure. teenagers would go there, maybe at night. But but it was smart. It was smart of you know all yeah. these places. So you know, they the upstage would have, did the same thing in exactly. Asbury Park. And, and there weren't really famous bands there, but there were sort of up-and-coming bands. And Jimmy was one of the people who played there, and he was called Jimmy James. And, and you know, I had never seen anything like that kind of guitar playing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he wasn't really full out doing his Jimi Hendrix thing, but there was just something about him that was just completely unique and and, and special. And I I think I was kind of scared of him. You know, he would always, you know, say hello to us and and be sweet and Mm -hmm. flirty. And, you know, you know, we were like little girls to him then. He was, you know, nine, 10 years older. And anyway, that, that was, it didn't really get to know him then, and then started hanging out at a club called The Scene, which was on West 46th Street, right in the heart of the theater district. After hair, and after all the shows, all of the cool people would go and hang out at The Scene. And this was a place where they did get big bands at the time, but a small club. And like I saw the Jeff Beck group there for the first time with oh, Rod Stewart God. and Ronnie Wood. No one knew who no any one knew of Rod these, Stewart back then, no, right? No, this no is one. the first anyone had ever heard of him. Ron Wood was the bass player. That's right, Ron Wood. No one heard of yeah. him. Nicky Hopkins on piano. <sighs> and, and Jeff Beck was the only one we had ever heard of because yeah. of the Yardbirds. And you are your own Smithsonian. So yeah, I mean well, these are. I don't. I don't mean that you live you know, long enough. Yeah, yes, you, 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 I'm not saying you belong in an institution, but well, I mean I, this I, is. I, I do, yeah, and not the Smithsonian. <laughs> so not only, and I've heard you talk about this before, and I just love to hear the story that one night you were there seeing Jimmy, and somebody else jumped up on stage and sang with him. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, this everybody would get up on stage right. and, and 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 jam with everybody, but one night it was Jimmy, Jim Morrison, and Janis Joplin. Up there together, I, I, and and Morrison was just completely wasted mm-hmm. to the point where Janish just pushed him off the stage and was like, and the, Get the "Were hell the doors out. a success at that point? Were there? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and people would come there to hang out. They right. were, you know, he wasn't hired to play. Right. He was, you know, he was just there hanging out, and people would just get. I mean, they would have bands that they would hire to sure. play there, but they would also anybody could kind of get up and play. I mean, they were just anybody who was anybody. Jimmy Page, Robert, right. all those people would kind of do their thing and what did they play what 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 would jimmy and janice play i well or just jam i would say more bluesy type things you know obviously that was janice's love and jimmy you know came she didn't know about ben burns yet or she's singing (laughs) peace of my heart (laughs) well no she actually she had done peace of my heart yeah Yeah. i mean they were all known by then this was 68 Wow. When I first saw Jeff Brack group. So it was around no, that no, time. No Instamatic cameras being snuck in. <laughs> you know, can what you imagine had I, well, people would not think it was cool to have a camera then. I mean, if people right. had phones back then, forget it. There would be some oh, amazing footage yeah. that, that would be priceless. Even the audio but, of that. You know, would I would be... never even in a million Rich years. Rich Russo must have it somewhere. I, he, well, if, Rich if anyone Russo, has if it, Rich Russo Rich has it. doesn't have it, then, yeah. then no <laughs> it one has exist. it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I would ever have thought to take a picture of of anybody. I mm-hmm. still don't. I'm still really weird like that. I mean, now that I have the phone, it, it, it's easier, but I, right, I don't but think I've ever brought a camera no. to a concert. No, I and, just... and most people didn't. Most people didn't. So the world of music becomes an even bigger part of your life on a New Year's Eve some time ago when Little Richard performed your wedding to Little Stephen with his lifelong pal Bruce and the and E Street Band serenading you all night. And yes. So I, I've had the honor of watching you at several concerts and over the last few years and Stephen's tours and, and obviously Bruce's tours prior to that. And you clearly love every minute of hearing great music, whether you're dancing in your seat, dancing in the dark with Bruce on a few occasions on stage, <laughs> even in the rain on his birthday once. Oh my goodness, um, what a night that was, uh, right? Uh, still recovering and lately doing some some mean go-go dancing on stage and for those of you that heard the episode with my mom you've heard this story but i'm just going to take this opportunity again oh, please to just do. Personally, love to hear about queen b personally thank you for truly making a 90 year old feel like a kid again and and maureen and steven had the idea originally steven to have my mom at 90 to introduce a concert she of course i have to tell <laughs> you it was my idea oh no, he took I, credit for it. Well, he he stole my no. He was thrilled about uh. it because we were talking about her, and then he was saying, "Oh, she's she's cool and she's so fun." And I said, "You know, you should have her introduce you guys tonight." 
or, or whenever mm-hmm. or the, the next day. And he's like, yeah, oh, that would be fantastic. So he absolutely loved the idea. I mean, normally my ideas don't go over that, that well with him. But but he absolutely well, absolutely loved it, yeah. and and she was just so fun and oh, you know it, it just and, we didn't and, have to make her young and, she's already there no and as as and Stephen I give him the credit but I guess I'm going to give you the half at least half credit if not more <laughs> for the whole J date experience and her modeling career which came from that and then last May having her on stage dancing with you and your friends with the and go-go your sisters girls. And yeah no that she was twisting. it was just fat I thought we can't do this without her yeah well it's. Thank you again on behalf. It was of, great, and your mother got to hang out with Bruce. Well, that yeah, that <laughs> was I the love. icing on the cake. Driving driving there that night, she she said, "Do you think Bruce will come?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. I did know, but I I wasn't going to say." And I said, "No, this is the kind of thing he comes to, and this is yeah, Asbury you never Park, know, yeah. and you know, you, you just never know." And I will never forget the grin on Rich's face when he came back to my seat with my mom, and he's holding the iPhone up in the air with the picture that that, that he took, which is truly in our family would be forever be one of the iconic photos of all times. Wow, it, <laughs> so. it was great. I didn't even know that she had gotten to meet him, but when I saw the photo, I thought this is well, just... Well, he went up to her. This is just so perfect. Bruce, Bruce I'm walked sure right he up did. to her I'm and sure sat he down. Next, I mean, he, he initiated it. So let's move on to the business of television, another medium you will forever be remembered for, for being in the definitive show of the modern era, The Sopranos. Now, you played the iconic role of Gabriella Dante. Yes, and for those of you locked up in a dungeon or somewhere or have not seen the show, Gabby Dante is the wife of Silvio, played, of course, by Stephen, and the mother of their college student, Heather, and a member of the, this close-knit sorority of New Jersey mob wives. And you spend a lot of time with your sisters, which, ironically, you do as well, because you have a lot of sisters, and I you have do. a lot of wonderful women friends that you were go-go dancing with. So I, I love how that all tied together for you. Yeah, and, no, I um, have four sisters yeah. and, you know, our, we have a pretty big age gap between myself and I'm, I'm the eldest and my youngest sister. There's 16 years difference. But now that we're all older, mm-hmm. we're all the same age now. Right. And, and, you know, they're my best friends. I have a great time with them. I have great girlfriends, you know, girls that I've danced with, girls I've, I've acted with. And, and we just, you know, we just like to have fun. This segment, by the way, is brought to us by Posteria in Summit, New Jersey. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so was this your television debut? Yes. Yeah. So after being on stage, this had to be everyone I've talked to that has, has made this adjustment said it's, it's not that easy. It's really challenging. It was very, very strange because I, I had been dancing, but then I, I had a theater company and I had been, you know, doing a lot of plays and, you know, doing plays that, that, that did very well off Broadway stuff. And I got cast in Sopranos and I thought, oh, well, you know, this is going to be easy. You know, you can do it over again if you screw up. But I got in that set, and when you have to do that in front of a whole crew of people watching you and cameras in your face and lights in your face and all kinds of distractions, it's really, really difficult. And and, and it, it is a real craft and a skill to be able to do it. I, I, I don't know that I ever felt totally comfortable doing it. You know, I think I did... I did the best I, I could do. I mean, you never looked uncomfortable. But <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I was always comfortable being, you know, in the story and in acting. But it's very different than theater. Obviously, you're filming things out of sequence. Right. We didn't get the full script. We would only get the pages that we were featured in. So I didn't. I mean, I would peek at Stephen's script. Sorry, sure. David Chase, but <laughs> but I, you know, because only the the big principles of a show would when, get a full script. When you first started reading some of the, the David Chase script, let's say maybe you peeked at it in season one. Uh-huh. Did you realize it was something very special and very unique at the time? Well, when Stephen was asked to audition for it, right. I went over the scene with him and the scene was a Tony Soprano and Carmela scene because right. they, they brought him in for Tony. And I remember thinking this is really kind of cool and interesting. And, and then when he got the part, you know, I would help him with his lines. And, and I thought, it was going to be successful. And I, I think he really didn't. I don't know that David Chase felt it. I think they were all kind of surprised, but I just thought it was such unique material. And, and also, I think because I had grown up in that kind of atmosphere, I felt it was very authentic. Right. And I, I, I just, I, I thought it would be successful, but I don't know that the people that were actually doing it, I wasn't in the first sure. season, but I think that first season, they didn't know what was going to happen with right. it. Well, I would imagine every day on that set had to have been magical. I mean, the kind of talent out there from the writers to the directors and, and, and obviously, you know, Jim Gandolfini and I mean, just just performances wow. that are just, you know, really I mean, it, it was just very hard right. to be in a scene that Jim was in and not be watching him as an audience member, because what he did was 
was so magical. But and on the other hand, he was so that character that you you didn't feel you were outside. It was it's a very strange thing. But he was. I mean, if you want to take a master acting class, you know, just just be in a room mm-hmm. with him. And uh, I remember one scene that that I, I was in where I was in the kitchen with Carmelo, and he came in, and they got into it, and I was in the middle of them. I was terrified of him, you know, and I knew Jimmy to be this lovely, you know, mm-hmm. big bear, sweet, generous guy, but he scared the hell out of me. And I thought that is power. That is well, acting. That power came through, boy. Yeah. I mean, and you made friends for life. I mean, Vinnie Pastore and you have run a theater yeah, company exactly. for a number we, of years. You know, and- we co-teach an acting class at HB Studio together. Right. and Which I actually took a class at when I was 18. Yeah. Yep. I and love we that all, place. Right. You mm-hmm. know, I did, I studied there too for many years. Yeah. So I, I, you know, Bobby Finaro is one of my best friends, you know, Tony Sirico. I mean, those guys are like my, my brothers. You know, oh. I, I'm one of five sisters, never had brothers, but they're my brothers. Is there some more theater coming in the future for you? Yes, my my theater company, Renegade Theater. Mm-hmm. We're about to start a series of staged play readings. First one we're going to do is Lovers and Other Strangers, which we did uh, right. about a year or so yeah. ago. Yeah. And we're going to reprise that. It's a and lot of fun, folks, if you've it, never it been to these so stage readings. Um, you honestly feel like you're just backstage and you're just getting this incredible look at this amazing writing, especially a show like that, and also with yeah. wonderful, wonderful and, actors. And we do it as close to a play as we can. I mean, because of the equity rules and everything, we have to have scripts in our hand. We right. really you know, do know the script, but we kind of, we have to, you know... Go by the rules. And and it's just fun. You know, we usually do them at the cutting room, mm-hmm. you know, who give us a great home. And the other people there are fantastic, Steve and Susan. And we just feel, you know, very, very lucky to be able to do it there. We usually, you know, bring music in before we do the sure. show and, you know, sometimes have the Rocket Academy kids right. perform, sometimes members of our company. Mm-hmm. We've had, you know, Willie Nile and right. Eddie Brigatti and, yeah. and, and a lot of people yeah. come in and play, you know, before the, the show. So it's, it's just a fun evening all around. No, those are great. Those so are we're going to, we'll be announcing those. Soon. Great. Well, look for, look for links for that folks. Absolutely. Um, I will definitely be putting that out. So what's changed 20 years later about TV in your mind that's, that's better and worse. And I mean, there's so much content, obviously. Well, that, and that's it. That's... There, there's just so much of it. I can't really keep up with, with watching all of it. I think in a way, for me, it, it ruins things because the whole binge watching thing, even though I, of course, have done it, I'm guilty of it. I don't, I kind of liked it when I had to wait a week Mm-hmm. to see the next episode. Sure. And I think even with Mad Men, they still were doing that, right? No, Mad was, Men, yeah, Mad Men is once a week. Once yeah. a week. Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't no, that, that was long ago. that was not a ago. binge show, yeah. And, and I, I, for me, I, I know for other people, it, it's a great thing because, you you know, it's that instant gratification. You can see the whole thing. Yeah. But I, I kind of liked it when there was less, you know, just like I liked it when there was less, not less music, but where you had to wait for music, you know, where you'd have to wait in line at the record store, oh, where you'd to have get, to like, to get oh, the, the Beatles record album. is coming out yeah. today, and we'd all be so excited and wait no, for it. And, I mean, you know, again, I'm old; it's no, old fashioned, but it's not. There was I something mean, more special, you know, that that waiting and, and the finally, you know, that moment coming was very exciting. And now, mm-hmm. I, I think the excitement is not as great. But on the other hand, I think that the quality of the writing on TV is just amazing now. And, and look at the actors. Everyone wants to work in TV. That is right. the preferred medium oh, now, absolutely. I think. You know, if you do and a movie, you do it. It's it's done. It's great. It's history. Well, that's why um, Marty went to Netflix as, as soon as he did with The Irishman. I mean, he was smart. Exactly. He knew I mean, that that, was, that, that's, that's where that the, is the future. Are. And, you, you know, know, Netflix, who knew what, yeah. what they would become. So well, thanks to Stephen, the first show, Lilyhammer, well, which yeah. you got to appear in as well. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That, those episodes. were little, little fun cameo yeah. appearances. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, it, it was fun. The, the, the last one that we did uh, because Tony Sirico was in sure, it and Bruce, and Bruce was in yeah, it. The and I, I thought Bruce was really great. He actually scared me in that one scene. One of the great coroners of all time. That yeah, was, I, I'm surprised that, that this was, is not spoken about more because I, I, I think it was such, I think people were freaked out by it in a way. <sighs> Because I'm telling you, I was freaked out being in that room I with him. I can only imagine what that was like. And he was yeah. good. He was, was great. He was real. And yeah. I was like, man, you know, Bruce, this is <laughs> powerful stuff going on here. And he, you know. Not many takes when, when they did that scene? Not, no. J- j- I'm trying to remember. Was there an actual there live, was a, there was an actor a, playing a, the, the a, dead body? A woman, a young, yeah, you know, right. na- very naked. Right, exactly. Dead body there. Right. And, you know, Tony Sirico's in the scene and <laughs> Bruce is in the scene and Steven's <laughs> directing it. And I'm like, if there's anything more surreal on this earth, 
you show it to me because it, it was really bizarre. It truly is one of one of the most amazing. I mean, the whole series of, of Lilyhammer is wonderful, but it, it was, it was, it was fun. An I was happy ending. to get to be in it because yeah. it was such a fun show. So nepotism listen, there. You're an Anglophile. I mean, you love British stuff. Yes. Sir. So we, you know, we talked about this off the air, but you know, what is it about British comedy and drama that that still today? I mean, quite frankly, with the exception of Mrs. Maisel, which we both absolutely oh, love and can go on forever adore and, it. and should have won the Golden Globe and we can go on forever and argue about all those things. But what is it about those shows that, you know, were on BBC One and, and that now are being just coming right to, to Netflix and just, just everything, whether it's, you know, the broad churches and, and just, I can go on, Luther, there's so many yeah, series. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know what it is because there's certainly... And comedy, are, too. I yeah, mean, Monty Python, I grew up on yeah, Monty Python. Yeah, me too. And there's still I mean, nothing funny. There's just something so clever and just off kilter about it. And I, and I think maybe what it is is that the British are perceived to be so proper, but then when they put out this this kind of material and, and humor, it's like, where the hell did this come from? These people are crazy. And it's great. They have that beautiful combination of being like very, very proper and very off the wall at the same time. And I think, you know, the Beatles, obviously, you know, I think a lot of us just fell in love with the whole British thing because of them. So they opened up that whole world, you know. But to- not for everybody. It's so interesting because, I mean, I was... I remember being a bit of a freak that I was into Monty Python in high school. Like not, oh, yeah. not everybody was. And, and I yeah, just... It, it was really out there. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it. Oh, my and, God. It's it really the, just the, the greatest television. Just, I mean, John, uh, I mean just Faulty so Towers, brilliant. the and shortest I, series of all time is, is the greatest. Really, and I, I think a lot of it went above people's heads. You know, I think you had Maybe to have a it. certain kind of way of thinking to really get that stuff. But now, I mean, look, we have Ricky Gervais Afterlife. Yeah. I mean, come on, oh, this well, is the show. Is we, just could, we could do a whole brilliant. show on Ricky Gervais. Yeah, and, he's, he's my hero uh, well, for so many me reasons. Too. Well, well, we just, I loved every second of, of the Golden Globes. Speaking of Mrs. Maisel, I meant to ask you this earlier. Uh, Did you get to see Lenny Bruce live? You know, I got to see Lenny Bruce because I was hanging out in the village when I was 14, 15 years old. Some, he was already, you know. Boy, if your quite, parents knew that, oh, the, that, that would have bothered them more than Jimmy oh, Hendrix. Well, I didn't know who Lenny Bruce was <laughs> right. at the time. He was quite famous, though. I didn't know who he was. Saying, Can't you see Woody Allen? What do you, what do you need and, to see this guy? We would hang out in the street on McDougal Street, and the street was kind of buzzing, like, well, Lenny Bruce is doing a set at the Gaslight, you know, and he was already, I'd been so big by then, I think Mm -hmm. he was, it was a couple of years before he passed away. So he was already, I think, in the middle of all the horrible, you know, police stuff that was going on. But anyway, he was, he just showed up at the Gaslight and snuck in and, and, and I got to see Lenny Bruce and I didn't know who he was and, and I became completely fascinated with him and went and bought you know, all these books about him and, mm-hmm. and try to, you know, listen to the recordings. And I, I think at that age, I didn't really get what he was, sure. get what he was yeah, doing, but right. I do wish he was around now because oh. I, I think he'd be such a great voice. Um, one, one of the greats, really you know, one of to, the greats. You know, to, to, to look at what's going on yeah. in, the, in the world and our, our country in particular now, yeah. I think he would be a, just a really brilliant voice mm-hmm. to, um, you know, make people feel like they're not going insane. Well, at least we have him on Mrs. Maisel. That's <laughs> exactly. And I, Luke Kirby, I love this guy. Yeah. I think he's, you know, he's doesn't look exactly like Lenny doesn't sound mm-hmm. like him, but he's caught that essence of him and, and uh, he's, he's, he's fantastic. <laughs> so one of the real perks, I think for those fortunate enough to have been successful, like, like you and Steven have been in show business is, is being able to give back. You and I originally met on a nonprofit board, and, and you and Stephen have been That's making right. significant differences in the lives of so many for so long. To name a few, you help raise millions producing these once-in-a-lifetime events with Little Kids Rock. I mean, yeah. these were events that, you know, we had performances that Stephen was directing that included everyone from Bruce to Brian Wilson to to Elvis Costello to Alice Cooper to the amazing Darlene Love Joan and Jed, Joan Jett. Medley. And, oh my I mean, God, when I, I look back, I can't even imagine that we're <laughs> Oh, yeah, to pull just, those things yeah, off. Yeah, I, I remember the Brian Wilson moment so that, that was so intensely. So great, and, and the first one yeah. that 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 I did was we decided to honor Stephen, right? And I I thought, well, 
you know, maybe I'll get a couple of people. You know, right. I asked Jesse Mallon was the oh, first one I asked. We, and what we decided to do was, to, you know, have people, different people perform his songs. And I thought, well, you know, I'll ask a few friends, but, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to really get too much going here. I asked Jesse Mallon first one. Right. said yes. Ruben Blades. Right. Dion. Right. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I, I can't ask Bruce. You know, this is right. just too scary Plus for me. Mar- the guy from American Idol that... You know, well, which, two, two yeah, of the two, guys two from American, American Idol. Idol. Right. One, my, my friend Michael Johns, who passed right, away right. very tragically. Uh, yeah. Chris Allen. Sure. I was friends with these guys. And mm-hmm. I thought I wanted to bring a, you know, a whole different array of people to do these songs. I just saw Michael DeBar. Right. I uh, asked him right away. Right. And he was amazing. And I don't know that I, I think Stephen might have asked Bruce because I was too scared to do it. And he didn't <laughs> want to do it. But Bruce ended up, you know, giving the speech. And yeah. then he and Southside and Stephen yeah. did, uh, you know a long time yep. you know one of my favorites yeah. and it just it was a really really special night and then Elvis Costello that, I mean it was just I can't even remember everybody it was just so many people yeah. the Midtown Men did yeah, it yeah. Billy Joe from Green Day I mean there's just it just went, right. on and on, and then it went on and so on much, for a few years and, so and, much uh, money was raised to help this organization I think now they have we actually had Dave Wish on in an earlier show I mean over a million students that have had the chance to have a legitimate music class with real professional instruments and more recently, as we featured in a previous show with Bill Carbone, we talked about the Rock and Roll Forever Foundation that right. Stephen runs, which is not only helping the most underpaid industry in the world, teachers, because Stephen had all these teachers come for free for these concerts, but developed this incredible curriculum merging history of our country and rock and roll, like we talked about earlier right. with the Beatles and, and JFK's assassination. Exactly, yeah. And if that's not enough, head down to Red Bank, folks. And, and we mentioned this organization earlier, Rocket Kids. And these are a group of kids of all ages that Maureen and Stephen have mentored. And I've seen perform everything from these incredibly challenging Beatle albums like Revolver and Abbey Road to the music of Queen to to British Invasion. And they're incredible. And I'm actually going to put a link of this one performance that I shot myself of this. I think she was maybe 12 year old girl singing one of the greatest Beatle covers ever. Um, wearing a John Lennon shirt. Oh, yeah, um, that, was that was amazing. Just, I, God, I, mean, I can't remember her name. Uh, yeah. She's absolutely adorable, and she's so, so talented. Oh. They all are. Yeah. These kids amaze me because they're, they're taking music that's from my generation, your generation, before these kids were born or knew anything but, about, but they're keeping it alive, and they're they're yeah. they're doing these songs, and they're really appreciating them and loving them, and they want to learn about it, and and you know Bruce Galapani, who runs the whole yes. thing, is just such a, a music lover and yeah. such a dedicated, dedicated man. I love him. Yeah, so passionate about what he does, and and he instills that passion in these kids, and um, they really are very serious about what they're doing. They're they're very very talented kids, and they're good kids too. Yeah. You know, you work with them, you just you know have nothing but but pleasure you know they don't give you a hard time they no. want to do what they no, want they to learn will, no. and they want to work right and they now have just formed a partnership with brookdale college and yesterday was their first day uh, oh um, that's great performing in the college so now I think they've they got had, i think one of the students uh, was on either idol or america's got talent she was on the voice on the voice actually right, right, yeah right yeah, and she's on the on the board of right. Rocket as well. Yeah, yeah, very talented girl. They they've got you know they've got kids now that are working you know off Broadway on Broadway on, on Broadway tours. Mm-hmm. The little boy who played Tommy, my son, when we did Tommy, sure, he ended up in in the tour of, of School of Rock. Really, you know, after that, yeah, adorable. Mm cute little kid and they're very talented kids and you know what what they do is really important because rock music is not really being appreciated as much as it should be and i think that they are keeping it helping to keep it going no skip the grammys folks and just head down to red bank and and watch (laughs) and watch real music period yeah well please we can that's uh, i'll (laughs) say that other show you can have that with jen gap and if you haven't (laughs) covered that i think we might have done it but oh boy well that's that's a whole episode so we also share a love of four-legged friends and Yes. If you follow Maureen on Twitter at MVZ at GoGo or, or Stephen as well, you know all about the beautiful Miss Edie. And we will, of course, always share a lovely photo of her in the show notes. Have you always loved dogs? Did you grow up with dogs? Yes. My father was a great dog lover. He would bring in any dog off the street that he would find. My mother would go crazy. My mother was always kind of a little scared of dogs. Not anymore. My sisters and I, all of us are just total animal lovers. And yeah, I had... Um, had dogs from when I was a kid, and then my father was the one who really encouraged that. I mean, there couldn't be a bigger dog lover than your husband, but was he always a dog lover? No. I mean, he grew up having dogs in the house, but it was sort of like the family dog, and he'd kind of pat it on the head and walk away. He wasn't right. really that interested. 
But I was begging him for, for a dog for many years. Is sure. an interesting story. We went to, during the recording of Sun City, mm-hmm. we went to Ringo's house in England to record Ringo and his son, Zach. Stephen was recording them on their tracks. I was just tagging along. And they had a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel named Lady Di. And she had just had puppies. And I felt, first time I'd ever seen that breed of dog. And I fell totally in love with, with these dogs. And Ringo said to me, I'll give you one of the puppies. And Stephen said, absolutely not. And I don't want, I don't want the dog. One of the big regrets of my life. And he didn't want the dog. And also he was kind of relenting, but then it was going to be trouble getting the dog on the plane. Right. And it, we just weren't prepared to do it. So I had to say no. And it, it broke my heart because A, oh. the Beatles, B, the dog. I, I, yeah, I just, you know. a, a Beatles pup. I mean, I... Just, exactly. That that's you know, I don't regret many things, yeah. but I do regret that. So anyway, you know, he knew I right. wanted one of these dogs mm-hmm. and a couple of years later he surprised me on my birthday. Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, my first yeah. one, Jake, right. who was adorable. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you know, he's like, okay, I don't want anything to do with this dog. You're walking him. You're feeding him. I don't want him in the bed. I don't Mm -hmm. want him doing anything. I thought, okay, you don't want him in the bed. I'm going to have to crate train him, which I did not want to do. I put him in the crate. The first night, I wake up in the middle of the night. The dog's in the bed. And I didn't put him there. (laughs) And this dog became his dog. The dog went everywhere with him. And then... When we lost him, mm-hmm. it was very, very painful, and yeah, we didn't have another one for eight years. And then my friend David Cook, right. one American Idol, another right. one of my Idol friends, right. not I-D-L-E, but yes. Idol friend. Idol. For those he, of you who forgot, Stephen was a mentor on, on, on American Idol. Yes. David and I became friends, and you know Stephen as well, of course. And he was performing at a fundraiser in Kansas City, and Edie was up for auction from Petland Discount. <laughs> <laughs> And he knew that I had had this kind of dog because he saw the photos in my house and, and he said, I have to get this dog for them. He tried calling me. I didn't answer the phone for some reason. He got the dog, calls me up that night. I have this dog for you. I'm like, no, Stephen won't let me have a dog. He, he doesn't ever want another dog after losing the last one. He unfortunately sends me the picture of the dog. That's oh. it. The end. Mm-hmm. So wow. a week later, Edie came into our, uh, our home. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. The whole thing goes in circles with American Idol as for many of you, uh, that watched the Super Bowl this past Sunday night. Yeah. You saw the Hard Rock commercial, which ironically was directed by a client of mine, Aaron Covan from Vayner Media. Um, Wasn't and, it Michael Bay? No, Michael Bay directed the commercial. Aaron Covan put is, it all together. Is, yeah, yeah, he works for Gary Vaynerchuk, who's okay. my client, and he's mm-hmm. he's been in part of it. But they, obviously, Michael Bay did, did the actual full direction. And then in the middle of the commercial in the Super Bowl, I don't think I've ever screamed this loud. I was like, "What?" I mean, this was Insane, a secret right? that was kept really well. And that was just an incredible moment. Well, and, it's and funny because TMZ although I will tell you, found he's out. too good to be a lounge singer. Yeah. <laughs> My friend Tom Fitzgerald called me immediately from DC and he says, unbelievable seeing him there, but Stephen is no lounge singer. <laughs> well, they, they wanted to have him playing. They wanted him to represent, you know, the rock element, obviously it's a hard mm-hmm. rock, but they couldn't really do it. They or of course. didn't want to do a concert scene or couldn't do it. Well, they, and, the, the thing is so 60 seconds. And they, you know, I, I heard that they had changed the script a hundred times because of, you know, the NFL having all right. kinds of restrictions and stuff, sure. but, but it, it was fun. And, you know, I didn't say a word to anybody, but then TMZ got wind of it a couple of days before, but I guess it still didn't it, it really get out, out there, there big time. Nope. That was fun. It, it, it was fun. Yeah. You probably agree with me in general that dogs are better than humans. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, I say that all the time. Two hundred percent. I really just prefer unconditional dogs. love. Yeah, they just, re- just they're just pure love. They just react to things honestly. Yeah. You know, no no faking. Yeah. No BS, and they're they're just. Um, and there's so many that need to be rescued. Oh and, God, and please! My wife I, just showed I, I me one the other that. day of a 13 year old dachshund, and we lost our dachshund about a year ago, and. It's really hard, but this, you know, we're, we're going to look at this 13-year-old dachshund because the, this dachshund just does not, it looks so sweet and it's going to need a home. And, and, and it's so great. You know, yeah. I love when people adopt the older yeah. dogs. I mean, if I were able to, Edie is such a princess that she will well, not exactly. allow, she yeah. won't allow another dog no, in the house. Our, but, our dog, Leonard, we had had two other dogs first. Leonard would not accept anyone else. He yeah, doesn't accept and, other, I mean, many but, other humans. But if I were able yeah. to do it, and I will in future, sure. I, I, I love when people adopt the older dogs, so, you know, that, that some people don't want. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really beautiful thing. And, you know, you give a dog a great life, even if it's going to be for a couple of years, it makes a difference, you oh, know, absolutely. and, and they, they, they know it and they appreciate it.
All right. So before I let you go, we like to do a lightning round of five questions oh, to end boy. the show. <laughs> and you don't have to spell anything either. And there's no math. My spelling is still, show, still pretty okay. <laughs> the show may be called Financially Speaking, but I promise there would be no math, math. There would be a big problem. Yeah, not a problem. All right. So here's the first question. So if you lived, let's say, 500, 400, 500 years ago, what do you think you would have done for a living and why? I would have been a dancer. Great. There were dancers back then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. There were. Favorite movie that if it's on, you're not going anywhere. I'm going to leave West Side Story out of the mix here, but right. I'm going to say All About Eve. Wow. Great choice. Actually, I think that's my brother's favorite. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it to get a message out to millions or billions, what would it say and why? I think it would have the line from Hamlet, to thine own self be true, and therefore thou cannot be false. So I mean, I'm paraphrasing it we now. We have to keep but, it a little shorter, but, but it could be a digital billboard. So that's okay. such a great line. To though. thine own self be true. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's terrific. What purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in recent memory? I, in recent memory? How recent? <laughs> what well, doesn't matter. There's no time frame. I'm going to say my first Beatles album that I bought. Okay. Meet the Beatles. Yep. And you still can get it, I think, for under 100. Not, 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 not I, the original I, I, I with the plastic so, on yeah. it. But I think, yeah. In the last five years, what new habit, belief, or behavior has, has most improved your life? Twitter does not count. <laughs> Twitter has absolutely not improved my life. I've started going to this place called the Montauk Salt Cave, which it's just, it's in Manhattan, you know, in the, in the village. I think there are maybe some others Obviously, there's one in Montauk. You go in this room. It's a, a made of pink Himalayan salt, so it's very beautiful, and they have all these sparkling stars on the ceiling, and you just go and sit in there, and you it's like a meditation. You don't have to do anything. You just go in, and they play this you know, kind of new-agey type music, which I would think I would hate, but you go in there, and you really do start to feel different. And it's also really good for you physically. It's good for your breathing. It's good for your immune system. It's good if you have you know pain issues, which I do. I think starting to do that has given me time away from the world. You know, won't look at a phone in there. Don't think of bad things. Just kind of the closest I can come to meditation. Hmm. So, have you tried meditation? I, I have. I'm not really great. I'm, I'm one of those people that I want to do it, but my it's, mind it, is always going. That's the hardest part. And, and, but this salt cave thing may be a start of it because hmm. I think that when I'm in there, you're there for 45 minutes. I do kind of start to zone out in a way where I'm not thinking about all the problems I came in with or all the horrible things happening in the world. I just kind of go into a state where you're just there. And I never thought I could do that. So I'm thinking maybe this is a good lead in for the meditation. And the easiest way to start is Dan Harris's 10% Happier. Um, mm-hmm. Dan Harris was an a- still is on, on ABC and had a panic attack on Good Morning America years ago when he first started. And that kind of led him into, he had been a war correspondent and, and dealt with a number of different things. But wow. he talks about really that to just if just 10% happier. That's all you need to be. And mm-hmm. he has, has actually has a podcast with the same name. And I've learned more from, from listening to those podcasts and, and realizing that it could just be three minutes of just breathing in yeah. a corner somewhere to calm myself down. And he helps you get over the guilt of feeling that you suck at meditation, which is kind of how I feel. Yeah, because I mean, I always think, well, you shouldn't have to work at something like that. It should come more easily. But I think, you know, you probably do have to. I mean, when, when I used to be able to take ballet class every day, that was my, my meditation. Now, because of injuries, I can't really do it as often as I did. But that was my meditation. I would go in that room and it would just be me, you know, and the other bodies that were in there and the music. And you were in a whole different place from the rest of the world. So, you know, now I have the salt cave. So, Well, that sounds that, great. That, that has improved my life. And we'll, 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 we'll send a link to that. Maybe there are salt caves everywhere in America somewhere. If it's a, oh, I, I think, is it a I chain? think there That's are. Great. It might not be yeah. this particular chain, right. but I think it Something does exist. And, and it's just, just a, mm-hmm. a nice experience. You know, you just go in there and you just kind of be, you know. Mm-hmm. That's So folks that follow me because of everything East Street, I post there will not be a sixth question coming when and if the next tour or album is coming out. We're going to leave that to our friends at Backstreets and everybody else that wants to throw guesses. I will find out when the fans find out. That's that's for sure. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think I think most people know that. It's when 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 the time is ready, it'll it'll mm-hmm. be ready. So 
So now the time is near and we face the final curtain of this week's episode of Financially Speaking. Maureen, as always, your generosity, your kindness are second to none. And I remind everyone, please, to check out the Generation Gap podcast. It's just it's just a lot of fun. Just oh, thank kick, you. I listen to most of my podcasts when I walk my dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just so much fun to just listen. And, and please follow her social. You never know what's coming next. <laughs> That's true. I've been very quiet yes. the last uh, couple of weeks yeah. because I've been working hard on, on a project with some of my acting students, but I'm going to be back soon. I did hear you. I'm going to throw this in quickly. I did hear you mention on your podcast that there was something about maybe a pilot that you're looking into on the West Coast Um, that you are, I think, specifically. Yeah, I've been asked to do a pilot in in March on the Mm -hmm. West Coast. There's not much I can say about it now, but but yeah, I'm just waiting for my dates to go Mm -hmm. out there. I also did another pilot of a show called Good and Screwed, which Mm -hmm. is fantastic, and we're hoping to get that going. That's already shot. Mm-hmm. I play Vinnie Pastor's sister <laughs> in it. And it's just, it, it's so much fun. And I'm really, I have very high hopes for that. Oh, great. Again, we'll link up about what the Renegade Theater Group is doing. Great. And you Thank definitely you. want to do that. And please send our best to Stephen. And I, I know his, do. his Twitter followers are anxious to hear how the no carbs and the no sugar pledge he made New Year's is working out. Well, <laughs> we'll see. He's been away for a few days. So I, I don't know if he, he's cheated or not, but I think he's being good. <sighs> I'm sure he is. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember, when saving for all the wonderful cultural experiences of your life, whether it be Broadway, concerts, or supporting your local arts, pay yourself first. Have a great week. Thank you, Mitch.